If you have your Bible with you today, please open with me to the book of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 3, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. Luke chapter 3 and verse 1. Uh, you know, whenever I was growing up, I was, I was in Generation X. I was a child of the 80s, and, and you know, 80s were, well, they, they weren't too good of years, I don't think, with all the big hair and all that. Um, but one of the things that I remember, I don't remember any of the specific episodes, but one of the things that I remember from my childhood is that I liked watching the A-Team. Does anybody remember that show with, with Mr. T and, and all them? And I remember, I don't remember who it was, gave me a gift. It was uh, at Christmas time, they gave me a, it was like a box set. And I'll, it had some kind of A-team stuff in it, and it had a, a square Tupperware plate, and and that came with. And I used that plate for years and years. And, of course, as a kid, a, a young man, you know, everything that's guns and military, that's just awesome when, when you're a kid. And, and that had it all. I remember pretending I was Rambo, climbing under barbed wire fences and stuff as a kid. And But anyway, uh, there was a, a gentleman on, on that show, A-team, uh, the, the leader of the group, Hannibal, and he had a phrase that he said all the time. Does anybody remember what it was? I love when a plan comes together. You got it. I, we've got some other A-team fans. That's great. Now, no doubt we've all felt a twinge of happiness and, and, uh, and maybe some satisfaction and maybe surprise whenever a plan comes together, haven't we? Uh, sometimes here at church we do something, uh, Bible school or whatever it is, and when it's all done we kind of look at each other and, and are just kind of amazed that uh, our plan has come together. And, and today we're going to look at God's plan that he put into place many, many, many years ago uh, to bring salvation. And, that's, and that, that, the first step of that is in Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And as I considered our text that we're going to read today, it occurred to me that no time in, in, in all of history has God turned to one of the angels and, and looked at him and said, I love it when a plan comes together. No time has God ever been kind of surprised like we are that a plan actually worked out. Why? Because God is always in control. God appoints things to happen, and they do. Ages and ages ago, God determined a plan of salvation, and he appointed the things to happen, and they did. It all came to pass. Every detail, every step, everything was appointed by God. And that's what we're going to focus on that just at the right time, God sent Jesus and, and he sent John as a herald to tell everybody about Jesus' coming. Now, uh, we're actually going to take things a little bit out of order because we're going to pick up when Jesus is about 30 years old. And we're going we're to look at whenever John the Baptist comes onto the scene and he starts to proclaim that Jesus is there. And, and we're going to talk about Jesus' public ministry. But as we look at this, I want you to notice that this is just another piece of the puzzle in how God has orchestrated his plan of salvation. Now, if, you've, if you have found Luke chapter 3, please stand with me in honor of God's word. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around Jordan, 
preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, as we enter into the Christmas season, uh, many times we don't even really think about it because we're so familiar with the story of, of uh, Christmas and all that goes along with that. Many times we don't really stop to consider uh, the details of it, but if we do, we may, we may be under the impression that it was just by chance that Jesus was born when he was and where he was. Or maybe we think, on the other hand, that it was just the natural course of events. Well, you know, this, this started way back yonder, and, and so so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so, and, it, it, you know, that's just the way it worked out. Jesus was born of, of Mary in this particular place, and, and that's just, it's just kind of chance. But nothing could be further from the truth. See, back in the Garden of Eden, God began to work out his plan of salvation. He, he told Adam and Eve there's what's called the proto-evangelum, and he talks about the seed of a woman uh, bruising or crushing the head of the serpent. That was the very first hint that we have of Jesus coming into this world. That happened many, many years ago. Uh, but there was a certain moment in history when God said, this is when my son is to be born. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5. He said, at just the right time, God sent his son born under the law to redeem those under the law. See, this is an, it wasn't just a flute thing. There was a moment in time when God chose for Jesus to be born. In his first sermon at Pentecost, Peter speaks of the predetermined plan of God. See, God is in control of the times, and he's the one that orchestrated all the events. He's the one who said, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, and he was. He's the one who decided that, that uh, 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 Jesus would be born of a virgin, and he was. He was the one who determined all these things, and it happened. And so what is it about this time frame that makes it so important? Well, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't uh, claim to know all the reasons that God has uh, had for sending Jesus when he did. But I think we can kind of pinpoint a couple of things. The first is that this moment in history, and we know this from uh, secular historians, that there was a sense of expectancy that a Messiah was going to come from the Jewish people, even from people, even people believe that, even though they weren't necessarily Jewish. There was just a general sense of expectancy in that part of the world that a Messiah was going to show up. Beyond that, back a couple hundred years before Jesus was born, you ever heard of Alexander the Great? Well, Alexander the Great, he, was, uh, he conquered much of the known world at that point, and because of him, the Greek language spread throughout the whole world. Now, the Tower of Babel, all the languages got confused, but suddenly, after the conquest of Alexander the Great, we had what was arguably the closest thing to universal language that we had up until that point. And so now, when the gospel is going to be going out, now all of a sudden you have a person from this country and a person from that country meeting up. They might not understand each other otherwise, but we have a shared language. They can understand what's being said. They can understand what's being written. On top of all that, we have what's called the Pax Romana. Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And so the Peace of Rome, that uh, if... If you're not familiar with the phrase, what that means is, basically, if you didn't toe the line, the Romans would kill you. 
That's that's just long and short of. They would crucify people that that was that were inciting a riot and things like that. And so, because of that, there was relative safety whenever the apostles went out and they were spreading the message, whenever they were preaching the gospel. Now, did they suffer persecution? Absolutely. Did they do it sometimes at the hands of the Romans? Yes. But because of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, uh, they had peace in that area that they hadn't had before. So, when did all this happen? Well, if you'll notice, Luke gives us six identifiers that pinpoint the time. And if you know, if you're like me, you probably had some name, uh, some pr- trouble reading, even reading some of those names, much less pronouncing them. But the first thing that he says, look again at verse one. He says, "In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar." That's about the easiest thing to pinpoint historically when this happened. Tiberius Caesar followed Caesar Augustus. Towards the end of Augustus's reign, they co-reigned for two years. On, uh, on August 19th. A.D. 14, Caesar Augustus died. We know that that's the date. At that point, Tiberius took over, and he reigned by himself. Now, we don't know if Luke is counting the two years that he co-reigned with Augustus or if, if he started his 15-year count from whenever he took over by himself. But depending on when, when he did that, we're talking 29 to 27 A.D. that this happened. That's... I mean, that's a historical time. Now, before we move on, I want to mention some of these names because if you're, if you're like me, does anybody ever read these names, Herod and Pontius Pilate and all these, and you see them and it registers because you've read them before, but you don't really necessarily connect the dots? I'm like that sometimes, and so I want to connect a few dots for you. Maybe you already know this. If so, maybe it'll just be a good reminder for you. Uh, he, he also mentions Pontius Pilate there in verse 1. Now, we know who Pilate is because Jesus went before him at his trial. He's the one that, uh, that, that he said, I, I don't find any fault in this man. And, uh, but eventually he did turn him over to be crucified. Next, he talks about Herod. Now, there are a couple of different Herods mentioned in the New Testament. If you'll remember, whenever Jesus was born, the Bible says that Herod slaughtered the innocents. The Magi came and said, where's, where's this one born king of the Jews? He said, I thought I was the king of the Jews. They said, no, we saw, we've seen a star and all that. You remember all that. And so he says, I want everybody, all the male children, two years old and under, in the area of Bethlehem, put to death. That was Herod the Great. This is his son that's mentioned here, Herod Antipas. This is the same guy who, whenever John the Baptist was on the scene, he started preaching, and he said, uh, you shouldn't be having Herodias as your wife. Remember this? And, and so Herod arrests John and eventually has him beheaded. This is the same Herod that whenever Jesus went before Pilate, Pilate said, you know what, send him to Herod. Herod was glad that Jesus came because he wanted to see some miracles. Jesus wouldn't respond. He wouldn't do any miracles. So they mocked him, sent him back to Pilate. The Bible says that up until this point, Pilate and Herod had been enemies. After this, they became friends. This is the same Herod that's being spoken of in verse 1. Also, if you'll notice down towards uh, the end of uh, verse 1, or actually in verse 2, it talks about the high priests Annas and Caiaphas. Now we read that and we just say, okay, that's nice. But in the Jewish culture, there was one high priest. He had that, that position for his whole life. And after he was off the scene, another high priest would come on. But by the time that this was written, whenever Jesus uh, was born, 
the high priesthood had become largely a political office. And the, the Romans, they would put high priests in and take them out at, at will, even though they didn't have any business doing it. Josephus, the historian, says that Quirinius, now if you remember Luke chapter 2, Quirinius was governor of Syria, he put in uh, Annas as the high priest, and people still thought of him as the high priest, but the Romans put in his son-in-law Caiaphas instead. Now I say all that, that's a, that's a whole bunch. Well, here's what was happening. If, have you ever been in a church where the pastor has a position of leadership, but everybody listens to Aunt Betty over here because she's been there forever? She's the matriarch of the church or listens to a certain deacon. Now, he has the position. They have the power, right? It's like that here. Annas had the power. Caiaphas had the position. That's why at Jesus' trial, the first place they took him when they took him to the high priest was Annas' place and then to Caiaphas. Okay, there shouldn't have been two high priests, uh, but there was. Okay, anyway, I say all that because... For me, I read all these names, and I'm just like, okay, i got to get through the names because they're hard to pronounce. But if we'll stop and, and put some of these pieces together, it gives us a better picture. Also, one of the things that is said about the Bible is that the Bible is just a bunch of what? A bunch of myths, a bunch of legends. This is an historical account. These are real people. When this was written, people could go back and say, oh, yeah, I remember when, when Herod was ruling. He was a rascal. Oh, and I remember Pontius Pilate. He was just as bad. And I remember, and, and it could be verified. And even today, we can go back and get a close date when this stuff happened. It was an appointed moment in history. Next, I want you to see that God had an appointed messenger. An appointed messenger. Sometimes people don't properly plan. Sometimes circumstances beyond our control change. And changes have to be made. You ever been put in a position, maybe you get to work, come to church, somebody says, hey, so-and-so's sick, will you leave the singing? Hey, so-and-so's sick, uh, will, you, will you present at this meeting? So-and-so's sick, will you teach this class? And sometimes it's because we didn't plan right, sometimes it's because things have changed, but sometimes we just have to kind of try to play catch-up. Well, God didn't do that. He didn't go to John and say, Hey, uh, Johnny boy, uh, I have this message I want you to deliver. Would you mind doing that for me? He didn't do that. Instead, he planned long ago that John was going to be the herald of Jesus Christ. Keep your place here and turn back to Luke chapter 1. Look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. Now, at this point, an angel is talking to Zacharias, John's dad. And he's saying that you're going to have a son. And in verse 17 it says, It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of, of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now I mention that because this is pretty incredible. John hasn't been born yet. Wouldn't it be nice, parents, if God would send a, a messenger that would say, Jeff, your son, your daughter is going to be this when he or she grows up. Wouldn't that be great? And we could, we could begin to kind of point them that direction. We could, you know, enroll them in these classes that will prepare them or whatever it is. God sent a messenger to Zechariah saying, this is what your son is going to do. The amazing thing about that, not only is that 
He hadn't even been born yet. But Zacharias and Elizabeth were barren. That means they were infertile in today's language. They couldn't have kids. And then, on top of all that, they were old fogies. I'm not being disrespectful. That's what the Bible, well, the Bible doesn't say those words, but the Bible says that they were advanced in years. That's biblical speak, for they were old. They couldn't have kids anymore. Biologically, it was impossible. And yet God appointed a messenger to go before Jesus to prepare a way for him. Now, John was an, kind of what we call an eccentric man. He lived out in the desert. What did he eat? Remember this from Sunday school? He, he ate locusts and wild honey. He wore camel's hair clo uh, clothing, had a belt on, looked a lot like Elijah did in the Old Testament. But even though he lived in the desert for many years, he did not immediately start preaching. When did he start? Look back at chapter 3. Chapter 3 and... Uh, and let's see. Verse 2 says, In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. He didn't start preaching until God prompted him to do so. Again, this is God's timing. He is the one that's in control. So we had an appointed moment. We had an appointed messenger. Unsurprisingly, we have an appointed message that he preached. The message is one that we need to hear today. If you'll notice in, uh, in verses uh, 3 and following, it was a message of repentance. A message of repentance. Look again at verse 3 because there's something significant here. It says that he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, there are some people in some groups that believe that you must be baptized in order to secure forgiveness. They think that, that salvation is, is not complete until you get wet. But that's not the case. What, is, what does it mean to repent? Well, to repent means that we have a change of heart and mind. It means that we turn from our sin, we turn towards God. It means that at one point in our life we used to love sin, we were okay with it, we were cool with whatever was going on, but now we've had a change of mind, and so now we're not okay with that. Now, instead of delighting us, it disgusts us. No longer do we uh, love it, but instead we hate it, and we decide not to do it again. Now, we end up doing it, but our whole attitude when we do it is different. Okay, That's repentance. Baptism is not part of that. Baptism is a sign that we've already done it. See, repentance results in forgiveness. Baptism shows this, that that has happened. It's an outward sign of an inward change. And repentance is a message that we need to hear today. We need to, we need to hear today that we need to turn from our sin. Christians and non-Christians alike, we need to forsake our sin. Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Acts 17.30 says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. In other places it says, today is the day of salvation. Hebrews says, today if, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as they did whenever they provoked me. And his message prepared the way of the Lord. It made, it made the people ready to receive him. Now, when the people heard this, we, we didn't read all this, but when the people heard this, they responded in repentance and faith, and they awaited Christ. 
Now, what's all this about mountains being brought low and valleys being filled up and things like that? Well, over in that part of the country and in that time period, when a king would go to a certain place before he'd do it, he would send a herald out before him. And the herald would proclaim, the king's coming. Make things ready. And so, of course, they didn't have these nice, smooth roads like we have in Lawrence County now. Uh, they wouldn't even have roads many times. And so the people would go out and they would clear the way. There would be big rocks out in certain areas, and, and they would move them. Some kings would even insist that portions of forest be cleared so they wouldn't be impeded in their trip from point A to point B. In our country, we don't have anything like that, except, has anybody been to Atlanta? I went, I've been to Atlanta one time. I shouldn't tell this story because it's not very good driving. But there are six lanes of traffic going one direction in Atlanta. And we were driving, and I was way over here, and all of a sudden my wife said, There's a rickson over there! Well, what do you do? It's Atlanta! So you know what I did? I glanced my rearview mirror, and I cut the wheel. And boy, I was cutting across all these lanes of traffic, and then we got over to the edge, and there was a wall the whole way, and she saw a sign for another, like there was a road on down beside us, and there was a sign for that road that we need to be, that said that's where, they were heading the same place we were, is what I'm trying to say. And so I came across all these lanes of traffic for nothing. Now, if you do it out here on 174, you know, you got two lanes. In Atlanta, six lanes go in one direction. That's a lot of traffic. I wasn't safe what I did. God protects me from my own stupidity many times. Why are there six lanes of traffic in Atlanta? The Olympics. Remember when the Olympics came? And, and I remember hearing the news reports. All this work's being done in Atlanta. They're making the roads wider and they're making it all nice. Why? Because they're having dignitaries come. They're having all these people from all, all over the world come, and they want them to make things nice. Same idea. The king's coming. Let's make a six-lane highway just for the king. And this is saying the, the one who is going to come before Jesus, the king, he was going to prepare the way of the king. It was an appointed message. We need to hear it today. We need to prepare our hearts for the king. And finally, I want you to see that there was an appointed Messiah. An appointed Messiah. Now, for all these years, the Jews had awaited the promised Messiah. That means the, the word Messiah is a Hebrew word that means uh, anointed one. It's the same word that's translated in Greek as Christ, the anointed one. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Look at verse 6. Not of the Jews only, but of all men. Look at verse 6. It says, in all flesh, or depending on your translation, it may, may say, all mankind will see the salvation of God. All mankind. Aren't you glad for that? That God didn't just send a Savior for the Jews, because I'm not Jewish. You're not Jewish. He didn't just come to save people in that little area. He came to save all of us. And I'm so glad for that. He was, a, he was an appointed... Messiah. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. That means I came to save Jeff. That means he came to save you. That means he came to he even came to save those those terrorists named ISIS. There I had I saw this thing on 
Facebook, somebody had made this little hashtag that said, pray for ISIS. And it got taken down from the Facebook uh, website because uh, somebody reported saying that it violated their, their, their community standards. Isn't that something that we as Christians are called to love and pray for our enemies? Now, I, I don't, I'm not endorsing them by any means. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But I still pray that they find Christ. That's, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to, save, came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't just come for uh, people in, in Missouri. He came for people in Arkansas, people in Washington, D.C., people in India, people in Canada, people in Mexico. Everybody is, was, on the, was on the radar when Jesus came for them. And this is an invitation that's declared to all people everywhere. Jesus saves. This is a message that we need to hear. We must repent. And the question is, have you ever repented? Has, he, has, has the appointed Messiah ever saved you? Because it's not Jesus or something else or someone else, it's Jesus alone. The Bible says, no, name, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's Jesus alone. God appointed a moment in time, a message to be preached, a, message, a messenger to preach it, and Messiah, who is the centerpiece of it all. Jesus Christ is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. This man born of a virgin, he died on the cross for our sins, and he rose on the third day. The question is, that's the gospel. Have you ever heard the gospel and responded in repentance and faith? Because the Bible tells us there's one other thing that God has appointed. And the book of Hebrews says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. That means that one of these days, each of us is going to draw our last breath. One of these days, and we say, oh man, I don't want to think about that at Christmas. That's a fact, though. One of, us, one of these days, all of us are going to die. And when you stand before God, what, what will you say? Why would he let you into heaven? You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Nobody does. The only way we can get there is through Christ. And if you've never responded in faith, today is the day you should do that. Many of us here, though, are Christians. You know, John has something to say to us, too. Have you cleared the way of the Lord? Now, I'm not saying have you made a path so Jesus can come into your heart. If you're a Christian, you're, he's already there. But what I mean is, have you removed the obstacles in your life that would hinder Christ's work? What are some of those obstacles? Well, maybe it's many times just sin. Those attitudes, those things that we do, things that we don't do, that we should. And we hold on to them with a bulldog grip, and we won't let go of them. We'll say, God, you can have everything in my life except for this area. He says, I want that one. But whenever, whenever I got ordained a long time ago, we had just moved in to the parsonage. We had moved in in October, and I got ordained in 
that following April, I think it was. And just to kind of give you a clue, we still have boxes we have not unpacked. And we've been there for 11 years. But we had a room because we, we, were, we were trying to get things all nice because we knew everybody was going to be coming up to the house. And so maybe you've never done this before, but this, is, this was our cleaning method. Let's put it in that room. And so we had stacked boxes in there. And we had stuff, I mean, it just looked like a bomb had gone off, but the rest of the house looked real nice. And we closed the door, and my wife put a sign on there that said, do not enter, or something like that. Stay out, under pain of death. And you know what happened. That was the place everybody wanted to go see. Hey, there's this room at the end of the house, at the end of the hall, with the door closed, and a sign that says, don't look in. Guess what people did? They were going in there, and it's just like, come on! And aren't we like that with God sometimes? We want to put all of our junk in this one little area and say, keep out, God. You can look everywhere else. You can go in the kitchen. You can sit in the living room. You can even look in the laundry room, but don't look in that room down the end of the hall. And guess where God's going to head? He's going to throw open the doors. I want you to look in here, too. He wants all of us. Have you removed those obstacles from your life that would hinder his work? John would say, if so, repent. Why don't you stand with me as musicians uh, come. As you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And in the quiet of this time, is there something that you need to repent of? And I'm not saying you need to come up here and tell me I'm not Jesus. If you want to tell me, I'll pray with you. I can't forgive you. You didn't sin against me. But even just right there at your seat, is there something that you need to go to God and say, I did this, I was wrong, I'm sorry I've done it, will you please forgive me? Maybe there's never been a point in your life whenever you have repented of your sins, you've never asked God to forgive you, to save you. can't think of a better day, better season to do that in. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for each person here that's uh, we're, we're all in process, God, and, and we all fall so short. We do things that we shouldn't. We don't do things that we should. And we know that many times, even as we're doing them, we're failing to do them. We know that we're wrong. 
God, many times we just lack the, uh, lack the courage to do the right thing. And God, I pray that you would help each of us if we have done that. God, we pray for forgiveness. But we know that you've not called us to, to go and sin some more, but go and sin no more. And we pray that you'd help us to uh, live a holy life. to remove those obstacles in our lives that would uh, hinder your work in some way. Maybe it's the stuff that we put in, the people that we're around, whatever it is. God, for the person maybe who's uh, never accepted Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you would let them see that uh, Jesus loved them so much. They left the glories of heaven and step down into this rough old world for us. God, help them to realize the great love that you have and the kindness that you show. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.